1: Welcome, everybody. All right. We're talking about false memories and manipulation and none the two shall meet. They're both very different. So we're going to have to take them in segments here. But the false memories, you know, if you look at this, uh, you know, although memories, well, they seem to be solid. They seem to be straightforward. um, The sum of who a person is. But there's a lot of evidence that suggests that memories are actually very complex, subject to change and, and often very unreliable. And, and memories can be reconstructed as people age and also as their uh, worldview changes. They they can falsely recall childhood events through uh, effective suggestion. They can even create false memories and, and they can be tricked into remembering events that never happened or, or, or change the details that really did happen. And, and so this malleable memory can have especially bad consequences in uh, legal settings. Um, you know, in, in the areas of interest are, are children as eyewitnesses, sexual abuse, misidentification, uh, and one you know, if you look at some of the research, it's been uh, there's a lot of high profile legal cases, in, including uh, like Ted Bundy, the serial killer, uh, the Big Martin preschool sexual abuse allegations, uh, Scooter Libby, among a whole lot of other people, and and a person's memories can entail. Uh, very mundane, uh, such as when you second guess whether you really did turn off the stove. And some memories can entail very critical, uh, but with foggy eyewitness recollections of a crime, maybe. And so there's a lot of research that shows we can be given false information and convinced to believe that an event actually occurred, even if we don't remember any such event ever happening. And, and given that, Uh, recovered memories may be genuine, false, or a combination of the two, it's legitimate to question just how much of what you remember is real and how much is just an illusion. You know, uh, a lot of people, and we see this all the time nowadays, like public figures who make erroneous claims about events uh, from their past and and become a target of of scorn and ridicule and, and hopefully job loss if they're a politician. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. And, you know, people have long known that human memory is subject to being wrong. And so the ordinary person makes faulty self-attributions in memory all the time. and And they do that to promote themselves, basically, to propose that they're bigger or greater than what they actually are. But, you know, most of us have a desire to view our identity in a positive way. And so, as a result, when events occur that challenge our self-image, the memory of those events morph over time until eventually the rough edges are smoothed over and we emerge a hero. And so, sadly, that's oftentimes what takes place. It's also easy to implant a false memory in someone. And I think this is called the Dease-Rodiger-Mormon Technique. And it dramatically demonstrates this. It, it just, you know, read someone a list of words from a category, but don't include the category name and then ask your subject to recall the words that you just presented. Chances are the category name will appear in the words they repeat back to you. And, you know, if you just think from a thought based perspective, false memories represent a, a variety of mental errors we're prone to make, such as forgetting who said what. Uh, or or being led to think something happened that that didn't, and that's called priming. And so, uh, you know, this false memory is basically uh, from the uh, the Rodiger uh, uh, McDermott, excuse me, <laughs> technique is is uh, the priming part when you're led to think something happened that didn't happen. This happens all the time in court in uh, all kinds of places where people are having to rely on memory to produce um, what they hope to be the truth. You know, forgetting is more about uh, the thought-based slippage when it comes to memory of your past. Um, You know, there's this intersection of identity and memory and it's a process known as autobiographical memory. So, within the category of an autobiographical memory is a self-defining memory, which is a, like a uh, a very vivid recollection of a past event that reflects what you value most about your life history. And so, people tend to promote a false narrative about who they are. Uh, lack of memory needs to be uh, compensated by restructuring uh, they're processes that use the outcome information as an anchor. So that means that when you don't remember an event, you, you essentially create it at the time uh, when you're trying to recall it. And, and you judge whether the event might have occurred based on the way you think about yourself now. And so these kind of people believe that it that it is a, a biased reconstruction that accounts for false autobiograph- auto, autobiographical memories. And so particularly when these are shaped by social expectations. And so that means that someone is trying to maintain a role in their life that people see them as. And so, you know, if they see them as a wise person or if they see them as somebody uh, who, to, to be looked up to, most people will bend their stories. Uh, To make sure that they look really, really good, especially if they know there's not going to be any accountability for what they have to say, you know, so so let's just take an example In, in everyday life. Perhaps you pride yourself on being socially skilled. However, Uh, Someone confronts you about your behavior during uh, some occasion when you were uh, rude to somebody, and you've got no recollection of that at all. In fact, you thought you were being unusually gracious at the time, and then you're stunned by the confrontation, and you've got no way to account for this discrepancy. So, uh, you know, if if you're uh, retelling the event later on, let's say, you know, a few months ahead uh, to a friend... Uh, You describe it in a way that emphasizes just how socially apt you are. Instead of being rude, you describe yourself as welcoming and friendly, you know. And so it's just amazing that what our memory will do is change uh, based on what we're confronted with, once again, to take those hard edges off of how we are going to be seen. You know, it's it's sad, but, you know, life is meant to be humble. Um, It's a gift. And everything we have in our life, even if we earn it, is a gift. And, and we have to look at our life in a way that we're humble. And so sadly, um, people that don't view themselves as humble, people that have a lot of ego or self-confidence, rely on this defense mechanism uh, as a way to recall their life. And so that they develop a legacy of their life that is false. You know, there's another example. Maybe, maybe if you pride yourself on having a really good memory, and ironically, you may be forced to realize that you forgot something really important, like an appointment uh, with somebody or maybe even a job interview or something like that, and that brings you face-to-face with your own fallibility, and again, though as time goes by, the shifting sands of memory lead you to recall the event that it's not your fault. And so, there's no need to be ashamed when your mind creates or distorts events from the past unless, uh, you know, you're a, a news reporter, a candidate running for office, or a celebrity whose every move is documented. Most people will not give you a particularly hard time about those memory slips. And so, as years go by, the memories from your past become more and more integrated into your sense of self, and then you become part of the retelling of your life story, and so their reality may fade, but their centrality to your sense of self uh, continuously uh, matures over time, and so recalling less and less about the painful events and more and more about the happy ones may even help you adapt with the life challenges that you face as you get older. So, in some ways, it can be a healthy thing uh, to remember lots of happy events in your life and look at your life as full and rich. And so that can restore some sense of health, but it's kind of a, um, a false way to do it. And so, you know, what we're dealing with with this show is really a thing called integrity. And integrity is what you do when nobody sees you. And so it's really important to get down to what a person is when nobody's watching, because that, that's, that's who your character resonates. That's not all of who you are. But what it really is, it's reflective of of how you really perceive yourself and how much of your life is a false narrative, by the way you conduct yourself when there's no accountability. So on those occasions, when you're forced to confront a, a mental lapse that don't doesn't coincide with your self-image... You know, you can gain some useful lessons about yourself. What is it about your identity that causes you to want to see yourself as uh, socially apt? Or are, are there reasons that you recall the times you remember something but not the times you forgot? You know, these questions help you understand your personal values and perhaps... Even their roots, and maybe, maybe, maybe you had a teacher who criticized you so harshly for getting, uh, for getting test material that you can't bear to confront your ordinary mental uh, issues. You know, it can be tough to admit that your behavior doesn't measure up to your thoughts about your behavior or about yourself. And so, without you know beating yourself up too hard, the insights you gain can promote your self fulfillment, and and both now and when you look back on the story of your life, quite frankly. Most people go through life not very uh, available. They're thinking of their past, they're thinking of their future, and they're not really in the moment. And if people lived more in the moment with purpose and and were more connected with the moment they're in, there's a high likelihood that they would have wonderful memories throughout the course of their life. But unfortunately, most of us cope with life like a zombie, basically wandering uh, through life with muscle memory and doing things that we're used to, uh, uh, not liking change. And I'm not saying all of us are like that, but what I'm saying is a majority of, of the population are just not available. They're just not available, especially now that they have a phone to stare at all day long. And, and just communicate randomly with all kinds of crazy people. You know, p- people tend to quickly download inaccurately and blatantly false statements into memory because it's easier then critically evaluating and analyzing what they've heard then later the brain pulls up the incorrect information first because it's less work to retrieve that information and if it's available people tend to think they can rely on it but just because you can't remember what someone said doesn't make it true you know so even when we know better our brains often rely on inaccurate misleading information to make future decisions because we're Perpetually lazy. Uh, when you ask people to do hard or what's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life, uh, they have a hard time answering. A lot of people have a hard time answering what they've done that's hard, meaning that they've done something that they've become an expert at that other people would seek them out for. You know, it's really Im- important uh, for understanding falsehoods. Uh, especially uh, in the political arena. I mean, all you have to do is look at Twitter and see how people just bend truths all over the place and then try to justify, justify, justify after they've put something false out there. You know, there's uh, um, lots of evidence uh, and lots of of, uh, people that want to hold... Uh, people accountable and if people were held more accountable for their life they would be more available but unfortunately most people don't hold accountability as a uh, uh, great adult trait you know however that's the one thing that we starve for is to be around people that actually are responsible and do take responsibility because that person is not going to project their burdens their problems onto other people you know You really have to to uh, uh, critically um, evaluate information as you receive it. And, you know, is it is it fake? Is it is it what you know, what is it? And so it's amazing that, uh, you know, if people are just a little bit more skeptical about what they hear, especially in the media, especially when they're hearing it from politicians, especially when they're hearing it from people that have an agenda you know, if they can just kind of read through the information and see if they're getting, you know, uh, truthy falsehoods, you know, when the truth is mixed with inaccurate statements. So people are persuaded and fooled and less evaluative, which prevents them from noticing and rejecting inaccurate ideas for example uh, during uh, the Trump campaign initially said he saw the video of money changing hands for kidnapped individuals in Iran and then he later retracted it but at the same time news outlets reported there actually was a video so you know it's it's and I'm not suggesting that you know he's a, a big liar, but what I'm, i I think that's also crucial to call out and respond to false information. And and if only the media would do that for themselves. And that's what's so sad is they're beginning to uh, get people to believe to actually believe that what they're saying is true, uh, and, and then they bring people on to try to reinforce it. And and they can just sit there and justify it. And that by learning that from the media. Of course, people will do that in their own life. You know it's also critical and, and, and uh, to call out and respond to false information. It's actually an obligation of people that are adults, especially as we may face an increasing attack on our uh, democratic institutions. And, uh, you know, we're getting out into this world where one of the parties is wanting to become socialist or is socialistic. That's just crazy. That's not what this country was made up of. That's not how we were created. And that's not anything to do with the values that we stand by. However, there's tons of false narratives to reinforce that that is the way to go. And so people are out there just dumping bad information all over people. And once again, we're educating people that false memory can be real memory. Now, memory, let's talk about some things about memory. Memory does not work like a video camera. Accurately recording all the details of witnessed events. Instead, memory is like perception. It's a constructive process. And so, we typically remember you know, like the gist of an event rather than the exact details of an event. And that's because we're seeing it through our own perception of what the truth is. So everyone has their own truth. You know, when we construct a memory, errors can occur. And so we typically fill in gaps in our memories with what we think we must have experienced, not necessarily what we actually did experience. We may also include misinformation that we encountered after the event and then we will not even be consciously aware that this has happened, and so you know we not only distort memories for events that we have witnessed, but we also have completely false memories for events that never occur at all and those false memories are particularly likely to arise in in certain contexts, such as an un, uh, you know unintentionally through the use of certain uh, uh, psychotherapeutic techniques or an intentionally in a, a psychology experiments. Um, see so, you know there's no convincing evidence to support the existence of the psychoanalytic concept of repression, despite it 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 uh, it being a widely accepted concept and uh, and, the, and another thing is there is currently no way to distinguish in the absence of an independent evidence whether a particular memory is true or false. Even memories which are detailed and vivid and held with 100% conviction can be completely false. So, you know, the the basic message here is your memory is incredibly malleable and because you often, which means it's it's very versatile, it's very uh, complex. And uh, because you often cannot spot a false memory once it has taken hold, the only way to prevent false memories is to know that they exist and to avoid things that facilitate them. Now we're going to go into manipulation once we take a quick break. So come back. (laughs)
0: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. should there be more to your life do you need a change Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about false memories and manipulation. And these are something in our human nature that we do using our prefrontal cortex which is what makes us human and this is amazingly where we do lots of bad things that we would not think we were doing bad things we but we just do we we do this is our nature you know there's a we're talking about manipulation right now but the most common type of manipulation is covert aggression now, notice I'm not saying passive aggression. You know, that's something that a lot of people just throw about. Passive aggression is basically when somebody thematically holds a problem in and then eventually blows like a, you know, they, they act like they're psychotic. Then they're really just trying to tell people, I don't want to reach this point of conflict ever again. So, you know, I'm going to act crazy so you won't ever do it. And all they do is look crazy themselves and nothing ever gets solved. And their self-esteem goes down. But, you know, there's nothing really passive about covert or veiled aggression. You know, it takes a lot of forms. It's, It's basically when a person is out to dominate and control you and have their way with you to make sure that you submit yourself to their will. And that that they do so in a in a uh, way that's hard to see. But in other words, if they were overt about it, if they would just say, "I'm on," uh, you know, it's my way or the highway, then maybe we would give them some uh, resistance. But some folks are really sneaky. Clever, you know, they're 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 very calculating. They get they can even be charming, but they know how to use your emotions, especially your consciousness, to get you to come to their way of thinking, and that subtle approach. That way of fighting uh, of with you in a way that's hard to see can be very effective. And that's the heart and soul of a manipulative uh, behavior. It's also playing on your emotions, playing on your sympathies, especially on your consciousness to have their way with you. So it's a, a covertly aggressive strategy and it works for the most part in relationships, but it's very, very destructive, especially in marriages. Um, you know, if someone is not Uh, Covertly aggressive, but overtly aggressive. For example, if they were just uh, physically threaten someone, uh, we would uh, generally not uh, put that in a category of manipulation. That wouldn't fit in that uh, physical. That wouldn't fit in the category of physical manipulation. You know, you can be manipulated in that way, you know, threatened. But in other words, you can also control people through terror. It's not the most common form of manipulation, but there are many ways to control people. So you can control them through fear. And we have a lot of fear in our lives. You know, when faith enters, fear leaves, when fear enters, faith leaves. And that's the challenge that we all face is are we living in fear or are we living in faith? And in some topics we're living in fear, some topics we're living in faith. And so if we could just live in faith, we wouldn't have fear. And and uh, if you thematically look at any religion, they're basically trying to teach you to live in faith and and uh, be a good person, you know, but uh, you can control people with fear. And uh, the most, um, you know, the Stockholm syndrome is the most uh, 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 known way to create fear. And that's feelings of trust or affection felt in many cases of kidnapping or hostage taking by a victim towards a captor. So they take the side of the captor and and basically try to, to uh, empathize with them. And by doing that, they're manipulated, and and that that's something that uh, Manson used when he uh, did the the murders, and and it, he influenced those people to do that. You know, the victim begins to identify with the abuser. So there are many ways to control people. You can. Do it overtly, but the most common way, the slickest way, the most effective way to keep your aggression somewhat undercover is to basically beat people up with weapons of guilting, shaming, playing the victim, making the other person out to be a victimizer. And these are all clever little tactics to get the other person to come around to your way of thinking and to do your bidding. And uh, good manipulators know how to use those tactics pretty well because they just fall behind them. Uh, but they're known to be bullies. And socially, usually people don't really want to uh, go towards that kind of a person. We're, we're all manipulatives to some degree. You know, we are inherently and unfortunately kind of aggressive creatures. So so this is not so friendly world we're living in where we have to do the best to survive and prosper. And we're in competition with each other. And we're all trying to get our way. And we're not always very nice to each other. But it's about how we go about the fight. You know, it's like, um, you know, like traditional psychologies are all about uh, people's insecurities and fears and things they run and hide from. But we barely have a psychology that addresses the number one thing that people do in their lives, which is fight. We fight more than we do anything else. It's in our politics. It's in our business affairs. It's in our social affairs. It's almost everything we do. But how we conduct that fight is what defines who we are. So when we fight fairly for something, when it's not really about us or it's about some valid principle, then we fight with consideration consideration for the feelings and the welfare of the other person. And when we respect certain rights and boundaries, then that, by definition, is assertive behavior. And we all need to be assertive because there are some things in this life that we're fighting for. So when it's all about us, when we take no prisoners, when we do everything we have to get our way, when we make no bones about hurting people in the process, there's very little uh, stake except getting what we want. And so when we're being aggressive instead of assertive and we do covertly and slickly manipulate, it's always a destructive relationship. So what is the difference? What is the difference between aggressive and assertive? Well, aggressive people are aggressive. They're they're more rage and anger driven. Assertive people are more like adults. They set boundaries. And so assertiveness means, you know, I don't I don't appreciate you saying that or you know you've you've said this many times to me and I, I would hope that you would begin to change. That's assertiveness. That's the adult. That's somebody that is civilly and kindly uh, but but putting boundaries between you and someone else. Aggressive is manipulation. That's a, that's a that's a, a nasty tribute that we have, a trait that we all carry. You know, are there certain personality types that are more likely to be manipulative than others? And are there certain personality types that are more likely to be manipulated? Well, yes. You know, you've got to have a pretty big fat conscious and a sense of guilt and shame to have these tactics work on you. You know, so let's take guilting, for example. Just try, for example, with someone who's grandiosically narcissistic and has very little conscience. just try guilting them into doing something. You'll find out in very short order that it doesn't work because they don't have the capacity for guilt. They don't have the consciousness necessary. So, you know, there are certain personalities and they're they're on uh, what you would call a, a character distribution or a spectrum. And they're also folks with tremendous narcissistic and aggressive features in their personality that don't mind basically beating people up, doing harm to them in various ways. And these folks don't care about anyone or anything other than their own self-serving needs, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to have their way. And uh, many times, these people are the god of their own life, and they, they don't believe in God. They just believe they are God, and they believe that this life is their life. And all the, all the other folks are going to serve them. You know, um, these uh, p- people take on the bully and then they take on the victim theme at the same time. So they bully and then they're victims and they're bullies and they're victims. And so, they, you know, they want to be seen as good. They want to be seen as vulnerable and uh, to other people. And then they basically manipulate and control them you know there's even cultures that are very strong in the guilt and shame technology or uh, techniques that have uh this inherently in their culture it's it's pretty amazing I have seen um like and I'm not suggesting it's it's a bad thing but it's a common trait. That in uh, some Asian uh, cultures that they use guilt and shame as a way to manipulate the children in order to, for them to understand the hierarchy of age and respect of elders. And, and so the intention is good. So I'm not saying it's an evil trait, but what I'm saying is it it's a pervasive uh, thing in those cultures to use guilt and shame. And so the guilt and shame involved in that is uh, to be able to fall into the, you know, a class of individuals and uh, and basically that those folks perpetuate that type of manipulation on and on and on years and years and years uh, you know hundreds of years go by where it they just pass the trade on from one to the next you know there's certain personality types that are more likely to be ma- manipulative than others and there's certain personality types that are more likely to be manipulated so you know it, when you look at that and just as I said before um, you've got to understand what those traits are. You know, uh, men play on, uh, men tend to play on and uh, prey on emotions to get their way. So they'll see that uh, sensitivity to shame or that a woman has or the sensitivity she has to being seen as not a nice person or maybe not being faithful partner. They use that as a weapon of control, whereas the woman might use her hurt, displays of her hurt, uh, try soften up or sway her relationship partner. So, you know, they may say that the, the big difference in the expression is that men seem to be more willing to play on and prey on women's emotions and women seem to be more prone to use emotions to manipulate. And and that's a very common difference. Now, once again, I'm not speaking to the individual. I'm speaking to the majority that, that uh, of, of what is seen in men and women. You know, playing the victim, you know, the one thing that sticks out to me is that uh, women are more likely to play the victim as a manipulative track uh, uh, tactic, whereas guys are more likely to play a physical bully or dominate. Um, you know, we don't know if that's always the experience, but, uh, you know, it's surprising that sometimes that is a common uh, assumption but uh you know there there are differences and men use some of the same tactics that women use and women use same of the same tactics that men do so it doesn't do a lot of good to sit here and say which one does what but we really more need to identify what these traits are uh, that make it and and wonder why we have to use those kind of techniques and things on people you know let's look at manipulation within children when you, you know when you Uh, find that manipulative behavior tends to start. It's inherent in the personality of human beings, but it's learned behavior that starts very early in childhood. You know, this is something that uh, we, you know, commonly see. You, You know, we don't have to teach our kids to fight for the things they want. Now we can reinforce it. we can provide them with a lot of messages in formulative years that, that uh, really reinforce uh, the notion of that we don't have to fight for things. But however, people are kids are taught that they do have to kind of fight for things. And the fact is that socialization is a process, and none of us are born civilized. We have an animal nature. We rise above it, yes, but we have an animal nature and we're born brutes. And it's natural for us to fight for the things that we want. And if children have strong, resourceful, principled parents at a very early stage, they will learn very early that... um, that the direct fighting approach is probably not going to get them anywhere. You know, so children are in a vulnerable position. The adults are stronger than they are in many ways and they're, I'm not just saying physically, they're also dependent on the adults. So, you know, the feisty approach is not going to work uh, from a kid. So, they re- very early on, they learn that, that uh, fight is covert. So, they use the subtle tricks that play on mommy and daddy's consciousness to manipulate them. For instance, One thing that a kid is always going to do is they're going to learn how you say no. And if you have a hard time saying no, they're going to break that boundary because they're going to find the yes that you have within you. If you can just be flat and straight, say no, and they go blah, blah, blah. No means no. If you were just to do that, they would see that it doesn't take much for you to shut it down and they don't manipulate as much. But, you know, people that have poor boundaries... Uh, can be manipulated enormously and kids are smart and they prey on that they're little predators they want power they want control they want to know that they can run their own lives and so they they learn this early on about how to manipulate their parents and when it works you know god knows it, it does work for them time to time that sends them a message that this is a good strategy to use and so guess what they do They take that into their marriages. They take that onto their children and they teach them their techniques uh, based on the fact that their parents had no boundaries. (laughs) So it's unfortunately that those kind of legacies go on. They look for partners that are susceptible to their ability to manipulate because that's what they had to do as children. So, you know, we look at how, you know, uh, um, how children manipulate. Well, they play on sympathies. You know, uh, uh, like, a, uh, you know, if uh, you had a parent that uh, felt guilty, had bad behavior and felt guilty about it, they would play on their sympathies to get things. And so if the parents make mistakes all the time or, they're you know, alcoholic or whatever, drugs, whatever their slippage is, they would play on that to show that, hey, you owe me something. You owe me something for that. And that's always a very dangerous situation, because when young people at the ages of 11 or 12 make the rain, take the reins of power, they, they take the wheel of the ship, and they don't yet have the life experience and the wisdom to chart a course and direct things. So they think they do, but they, they, they have that arrogance to think they do, but they don't have the wisdom and the capability to do so. So just, you know, it, it just turns things on end, and it's... it's uh, it's a sad thing, but that's how people, uh, if, if, if they don't take the time to parent and they want to be a best friend instead of a parent, they're, they're going to create a lot of manipulation in their child. And that's just the sad truth. But, but uh, you know, now we know that there are also people who unfortunately never develop conscious in the first place. We also used to think that this is another really important thing, that everyone would develop a healthy, normal uh, conscious. But uh You know, uh, trauma can affect that if they if they have a traumatic life, if they have a sense of uh, no control of their life, they tend to be able to uh, uh, be people that don't have as much conscious anymore because they're all wrapped up in their head into their own pain. And so there's a lot of people that will avoid their traumas and create uh, manipulation to keep people away from them having to recollect their traumas. So, you know, there's a certain amount of truth that sometimes the greater tragedy of our narcissistic age is that there are too many people among us who have not had proper socialization uh, from the get-go. And this is the problem that I have with people that um, homeschool. Their kids are not learning or don't have the opportunity to learn uh, how to keep themselves in check. Because they're just there with their family and they're not really learning how to socialize and become part of childhood is learning how to socialize. Families are riddled with manipulation. And so that's one of the lessons that homeschooling happens to be on the downside. It happens to teach children. Not in all cases. I'm not trying to say it's bad to homeschool, but what I am saying is, You need to be more conscious of how they can socially interact with other children too that don't uh, respond to their emotional manipulation. All right. We're going to take another break. We're going to talk a little bit more about manipulation, and then we're going to go into uh, some signs that you're being manipulated. So come back.
0: (laughs) Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives.
1: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about false memories and manipulation. And uh, these are truly human characteristics that uh, we all do almost every, probably every day, probably every hour of our life in one way or another. But uh, I'm going to talk about manipulation signs right now. We've already covered false memories in the beginning, and we discussed manipulation and how that takes about. But we also need to know what the signs are that, that someone is trying to manipulate. Um, you know, it's important to recognize these behaviors because your rights, your interests, and your safety are at stake. Now, the biggest one, uh, the biggest sign is, is basically the home court advantage. And that is a manipulative individual may insist that you meet and interact in a physical space where they can exercise more dominance and control. And this can be the manipulator's office, their home, their car, or other spaces where they feel ownership and familiarity, and where you lack it. This also. Uh, you know, they, they, they also let you speak first to establish your baseline and to look for your weaknesses. So, many salespeople do this when they prospect you. So, by asking you general and probing questions, they establish a baseline about your thinking and your behavior from which they can evaluate your strengths and weaknesses. And, and so, this type of questioning has a hidden agenda and it can also occur at the workspace or in personal relationships. And also, many people will manipulate the facts. You know, it's like we talked about earlier, the, the lying, the excuse making, being two faced, blaming the victim for causing their own victimization, uh, deforming the truth uh, as a strategic disclosure, withholding uh, other information that may take away from their point they're trying to making or exaggeration or an understatement, or a one-sided bias of an issue. That's the way people manipulate facts. And I think we see that every day in our media constantly. It's just sickening to me. But, uh, you know, there's people that overwhelm you with facts and statistics. You know, some individuals enjoy intellectual bullying by uh, presuming to be an expert in the most knowledgeable certain areas. So, they take advantage of you by imposing alleged facts or statistics or other data you may know little about. And this can happen in in sales, in financial institutions, in in professional discussions, negotiations, as well as uh, rational arguments. And so the presuming expert uh, has power over you and the manipulator hopes to punish or push through their agenda more convincingly. And so some people use that technique for no other reason but then to feel a sense of intellectual superiority. There's also uh, uh, people that will overwhelm you with procedures and red tape. Certain people use bureaucracy like paperwork, procedures, laws and bylaws committees and other roadblocks to maintain their position and power. So while making your life more difficult, this technique can also be used to delay fact-finding and truth-seeking, hide flaws, hide weaknesses, and evade scrutiny. Another sign of manipulation is uh, uh, negative surprises. Some people use negative surprises to put you off balance and gain a psychological advantage. And this can range from uh, lowballing in a negotiation to a sudden uh, uh, profession that they will not be able to come through or deliver in some way, or typically an unexpected negative information comes without warning. So you have little time to prepare and counter their move. So the manipulator may ask for additional concessions from you in order to continue working with you. You know, some people raise their voice and display a lot of negative emotions. I would suggest that's called... uh, uh, childish, But some individuals raise their voice during discussions in a form of aggression or manipulation. So the assumption may be that they protect their voice loudly enough, project it loudly enough or display these negative emotions so you'll submit to their coercion and give in to what they want. And so that aggressive voice is frequently combined with strong body language, such as standing or excited gestures to increase impact. And, and, and uh, some people will manipulate by giving you no time to decide. And so this is really a good, very common sales and negotiation tactic where the manipulator puts pressure on you to make a decision before you're ready by applying tension and control. And it's hoped for that you will crack and give in to the aggressor's demands. There's also negative humor that's designed to poke at your weaknesses and dispower you. Uh, some people call that sarcasm. You know, some manip- manipulators like to, to make critical remarks, often disguised as humor, uh, to make you seem inferior or less secure. So, so some examples uh, might be uh, some, you know, critiquing your appearance, your your uh, older model smartphone, your your background, your credentials, uh, to the fact that you, you, you know, you came in two minutes too late, you're out of breath, or by making you look bad, or getting you to feel bad. And so the aggressor hopes to impose psychological superiority over you. And also, there's people who manipulate by judging and criticizing to make you feel inadequate. So distinct from other behaviors, where like negative humor is used, Uh, The manipulator outright picks on you by constantly marginalizing, ridiculing, dismissing you. They keep you off balance and they maintain their superiority. So the aggressor deliberately fosters the impression that there's always something wrong with you and that no matter how hard you try, you are inadequate and will never be enough. And so significantly, the manipulator focuses on the negative without providing genuine and constructive solutions or even validation and compliments. Also, some people use the silent treatment. That's another form of manipulation by deliberately and not responding to your uh, reasonable calls, your text messages, your emails, other inquiries. So the manipulator basically presumes power by making you wait and intends to place doubt and uncertainty in your mind. So the silent treatment is a head game. And uh, then there's people that pretend to be ignorant. And so this is classic people playing dumb by pretending that they don't understand what you want or what what you want them to do, the manipulator they they make you take on what is their responsibility. So they get you to to break a sweat. Some children use this in tactic in order to delay or stall or manipulate adults into doing something for them that they could do for themselves. And so so some grown-ups use this tactic as well when they have something to hide or an obligation that they wish to avoid. So they just like they're ignorant and then there's that you know I don't want to fail God forbid someone fail you know then there's this guilt-baiting and so uh, unreasonable blaming targeting recipients you know they're they're, they're the place where they're most vulnerable or they are holding other another responsible for their happiness and their success and their unhappiness and their failures and that's called projecting they project on the other person what they won't do for themselves and by targeting uh, the recipient's emotional weaknesses and vulnerability, the manipulator coerces the recipient into uh, seceding unreasonable requests and demand. And then there's victimhood. And this is, uh, this is the narcissist favorite. It's exaggerated or it's imagined uh, personal issues like uh, health, imagined health issues, dependency, codependency, deliberate frailty, to explicit sympathy and favor, playing weak and powerless or the martyr. And so the purpose of manipulative victimhood is often to exploit the recipient's goodwill, guilty conscious, sense of duty, obligation, protective, nurturing. So the person is a victim, uh, uses victimhood, is often the person That is uh, looking for somebody who is more responsible, more reasonable, more reliable. And then they make that person into somebody that's just awful. And so uh, and they and and they also like them to be nurturing. And so, you know, there's all kinds of ways that we as human and these are just a few that uh, we are around people that manipulate. But there are such things as toxic people. And, and these folks will usually make you feel exhausted after you meet them. So you often leave feeling very drained around these kind of people. And they also uh, may try to, you know, some toxic people may try to intimidate you to get their way. Um, they may try to control you by guilt tripping you. You know, you, you love me or you're my friend, so you have to do this thing for me, you know. um that's oftentimes how people will manipulate people that do love them, and uh, some people are toxic that are easily jealous, and so you need to know that someone is a manipulator when they're so easily jealous because that they try to control you in an unhealthy way, and this is tricky because not all boundaries are valid. Toxic people use boundaries as a means of control, and they play the victim role when their boundaries are crossed or not respected, and so You know, uh, forcing someone to cut off people or delete people and and Facebook friends because it's crossing their boundaries. You know, it's just another sense of needing to control things that people should not control. Also, uh, some toxic people, they can't take no for an answer. And that's a huge red flag that that, uh, you must know about people. There are some people that just cannot accept a no and they constantly see themselves as a victim. You know, they, they, they wonder why everyone leaves them and feels like they're vict- victimized constantly. Of course, one day, you know, you get enough of their crap and you call them on it and all of a sudden, you're victimizing them too. And then some people give uh, backhanded compliments. When giving a compliment, it has to have a little negative in it. That's really nasty, toxic person. They also, uh, some of these folks have no respect for boundaries. They step right over every boundary you've laid down, no matter how simple, and uh, they go on and and, and they just uh, do whatever they want. And you really can't do much about that, but hopefully, you know, they get caught or get uh, someday get, get held accountable for what they've done. You know, there are also, there's many toxic people that you must identify if they're self-absorbed. This is a really strong sign that, that some people don't notice until it happens multiple times, but they never ask about your life. They only call you when they need something or they want to complain about their lives, which is usually results in them needing something from you. Some people are toxic because they overshare. They they disclose extremely personal or intimate information right away to strangers even and chances are they want your approval so badly they will bear any secret and the minute that they sense disapproval however slight or imagined they will turn on you and any information they have on you will be used in similar attempts to curry favor with other people that are going to be future victims of them so other toxic things about people that you need to keep in mind is uh, th- people that let things go unresolved. And so that's another conception that that that's, uh, that, that makes a relationship toxic. You know, cu- couples that are healthy resolve every issue b- via adult effective communication, using their words uh, at, to even talk about emotions rather than demonstrating emotions. But uh, you know, it's very important to understand That, you know, leaving things unresolved, and many people do that because they refuse to hear each other. They just can't stand the way they talk to each other, so they refuse to hear each other. They refuse to validate to each other, and then eventually they never solve anything, and that's another form of manipulation. And it's a very uh, dishonest thing to do. In every relationship, there's going to be stupid mistakes, and stupid mistakes can be uh, not intended, but uh, basically they... Are, uh, you know, if even if they're not intended to hurt, uh, stupid mistakes mean that the person is a little bit too self-centered. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. That's our show. You know, I'd love to hear from you. Visit our webpage on voiceamerica.com, Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, the moment you feel the need to prove yourself is a moment you should keep your mouth shut. <laughs> also remember... What if the comet that killed the dinosaurs was really a UFO crash and we are the aliens? Also remember, you know, if lesbians are not attracted to men, then why are they attracted to women that look like men? Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: That's our show for this week.